0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to The Business Chef Podcast. I am your host, Chef Sean Boucher, today. Talking to a really smart guy, a guy who really needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him an introduction anyway. Bill Cross is talking to us about food licensing. Now, I'm sure a lot of you out there have wondered about getting products with either your name or someone else's name on them, getting into retail, getting into stores. Well, Bill's the guy that can tell you how to do it. In fact, his firm could actually even do it for you if the product's good enough. But without further ado, let me introduce Mr. Bill Cross and let him tell you his story.
1: Well, my background is not licensing. Um, it's Uh, Journalism, and then probably uh, something a little more abstruse than that. Um, It was being a China hand. I was going to China and writing about business over there for a long time. Then uh, that proved to be untenable and staying married with small children. So I started doing things closer to home. And a friend of mine said, you know, there's this licensing show that's coming up in New York because it was held back in New York in those days. She said, can you help me get ready for it, get some uh, public relations material and marketing materials put together, and then, um, you know, get me launched on this. And that was almost 20 years ago. Uh, I liked it a lot, um, found I had a
0: knack for selling, and
1: we gradually were doing more and more food items. So today, we're one of the premier uh, licensing agencies for dealing with food brands.
0: So tell us in layman's terms, for those of us who maybe aren't familiar with licensing, what exactly that is and what does that mean? Because I think there's a picture in some people's minds that maybe not may not be accurate. So break it down for those of us who don't know or maybe need to know the right way.
1: Sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, basically what we do is act like marriage brokers. We put brands and And we find manufacturers who would like to use the power of brands to draw audiences in, to get consumers excited about a product. So this tends to work very well when we're dealing with an item that um, consumers really like and enjoy and are going to order. But rather than spending all of the money to build that brand from scratch, you kind of rent someone else's brand in this case, Tony Roma's. So if you go into your um, supermarkets or your Walmarts and people like that now, you'll see Tony Roma's ribs and pulled meats um, in the chilled and freezer cases. And this is our deal.
0: So I I know that there are different types of licensing out there, uh, especially when it comes to food or food products. Talk about some of those different types of licensing.
1: Sure. Um, That's probably breaks down into three categories. Franchising is a kind of licensing, restaurant franchising or I guess any kind of franchise, but I'm more familiar obviously with restaurant franchising where you license the Tony Roma's brand, let's say if you're a uh, a franchisee, but the requirement there is pretty much that you buy products that they specify for sale in your restaurants. You have to follow their prescribed recipes. And in some ways, you're just an extension of the corporation. Um, Then there is what we call lifestyle licensing, where uh, someone licenses the latest Star Wars movie and they put the uh, images of the stars and the logo on products, that uh, might be food or might be non-food, uh, but we call it lifestyle, even if it's in the food space, because people are not going generally to the store to buy products, uh, a Star Wars cereal, for example, except on a, you know, what we call it, rocket science, straight up and straight down. It's uh, in the movie theaters, everybody gets excited about the latest Star Wars movie, and then they move on to the next X-Men movie or Avengers movie or whatever. We're in the area of licensing brands that tend to be evergreens. Uh, Tony Romas has been in retail for probably 15 years or more. So what you're doing really there is putting out a product that is using someone else's brand, you're manufacturing it, and you're counting on consumers to say, "Oh, Tony Romas, I ate there last Thursday," or "Oh, I've heard of Tony Romas," or "My brother-in-law really likes Tony Romas," or you just think Tony Romas famous ribs, it must be good, even if I've never heard of it. Or worst case scenario, you say, "Oh, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I want to uh, get something from Tony Romo," but we will take it if even if it's a mistake like that.
0: So I'm sure that you have horror stories as well as success stories. So maybe enlightness. us, share, share with us um, some licensing deals that were maybe just phenomenal uh, and then others that were maybe a little bit of a train wreck. Sure. Uh,
1: the biggest success story um, probably has to be Starbucks, Starbucks. Um, closely followed by California Pizza Kitchen. They are both brands that embraced retail and have made a lot of money. We're talking seven, eight figures a year in royalties. Uh, in fact, Starbucks got so successful that they ended up in a lawsuit with Kraft over it and who controlled the license. Starbucks broke the deal, eventually had to settle for $7 billion Uh, and that's billion with a B, dollars to craft, but it was uh, hardly a blip on their radar screen, and they moved on. So you'll see a lot of Starbucks products um, that are strategically at retail, whether it's the bottled coffees, the um, bag coffees, um, ice cream, things like that. California Pizza Kitchen is one of the big players uh, in the frozen pizza at home business. Tony Romas, we think, is doing it right. Um, We've also worked for people like uh, Guinness did a program for them uh, that still lives on under another agency, but a lot of the base work we did Then when you say, who did it badly, um, IHOP is probably the best example of that, where about 10 years ago they entered into a licensing agreement to license the brand, but they wouldn't let the company manufacturing the products uh, imitate or sell uh, any products off of their menu. And that was a huge disconnect. Consumers went to Walmart and other stores, saw the IHOP brand, But there were no pancakes, nothing even remotely connected to their menu. So uh, don't be surprised. It was a big failure. It was a disconnect between the name and the product. That's probably the single most important thing you need to do, is to make sure that you follow through at retail on the promise of the brand.
0: So talk a little bit about some of the common misconceptions that you hear or mistakes that people make when they come to you, because I'm sure, you know, you talk to a lot of people, I'm sure that people come to the table with either misconceptions or just totally wrong information when they approach you.
1: One of the big problems is because people don't understand licensing, they come, as you say, with misconceptions. One of the misconceptions is that it's easy, that, you know, if you're a restaurant, you just call one of your suppliers and you get them to, quote, license the brand or make the products for you and sell them at retail. We've seen a number of chains go this route, and invariably they report that it doesn't work, the reason being that their supply chain uh, vendors are happy to have the steady business. They know how much they're going to make every month and how much product to order and what their prices need to be. Retail is a very scary environment unless you know what you're doing. Another mistake that people make is that um, licensing is going to have a negative impact on their core sales. The gatekeeper for most store purchases still is probably a mom with kids. Uh, That's changing, of course, with millennials who are becoming big uh, contributing factors to the change in the retail environment. But basically, no consumer is standing in front of a freezer case or a chilled case thinking, hmm, do I want to buy these Tony Roma's ribs and eat at home tonight or do I want to go out to a Tony Roma's and have ribs that are cooked on the spot, especially for me, served for me, and is really more of a an eating out occasion. They're just different meal occasions, different goals that a consumer has. The uh result is that consumers are going to purchase somebody's brand somebody's product the question is it going to be yours but needless to say franchisees especially they get very nervous in the service worrying about this sort of thing happening that it's going to eat into their sales when usually the opposite happens that the more you're at retail the more you're putting your brand in front of the eyeballs of potential restaurant patrons the final misconception is the thought that this is real easy to do Getting your products into retail is hard. There's probably 50 to 60 percent more product out there than can fit in all of the freezer cases at any uh, given store. So to get your product in, you pretty much got to kick somebody else's product out. That takes time, it takes connections, it takes understanding and knowledge about the industry, which is what we excel at, we don't do lifestyle licensing, we don't do entertainment licensing. we do a little bit of non-food work for uh, one of our um, legacy clients, Bick layers, North America. but we're ninety five percent food at this point.
0: so let's talk about the process um, What is the process when someone comes to you and says i want to I want to license my product or i want to I want to get into a transaction?" what do they have to do? What do they do when they come to you? What's step one, step two, step three?
1: Well, the first thing we have to do is evaluate whether they are a good candidate for licensing. Uh, With all due respect to some of your listeners out there, licensing never leads in the marketplace. It follows. So we'll have people come to us with a restaurant that has one location in you know, some rural area that doesn't have a lot of customers or um, a product that they've invented that they think would be great at retail that nobody's ever heard of, and they say, well, you license this for us. And our general reply is usually no. Um, we can't make it happen at, uh, mar- at the marketplace in retail. Your brand has to have enough power, has to have enough pull, to get consumers to come into the stores and purchase the product. Uh, branding really induces trial. No one's gonna buy a lousy product simply because it's got a brand on it. So that's that's misconception number one. The process about uh, how this works is if we take on a client, we have to very carefully understand what is their brand equity, where can they go, What makes sense? Tony Romans, for example, previous CEO said he was really excited about doing soup. You know, I tried to explain to him, you have one soup on your menu. This isn't going to be a marriage made in heaven. You know, your ribs are your core product. So we have lots of different versions of their ribs at retail. That's a a natural connection right there. That once we agree to work with them and they hire us, Then it's a process of finding the right balance. Do we go to a retailer first? Do we go to a manufacturer first? And it just varies all the time. And the other thing, of course, is do you have just um, U.S. appeal or global appeal? Uh, We're probably doing as much or more business offshore these days than we are in the U.S.
0: So what is it that someone who comes to you needs to have when, when they come to you? And are you are you seeing a lot of appeal, I would say more so, outside the U.S. for some of these products than inside? Well,
1: the number one uh, thing that people are looking for are good-tasting, innovative products. Um, I alluded earlier to millennials changing the game. Um, Consumers now want more authenticity, first of all. Now, what is that? That's one of those overused words like charisma or uh, synchronicity or that kind of thing. But authenticity generally yields out at the at the retail marketplace in products that don't seem like they came out of a, an extruder that has some reality to them. So that's one of the reasons why restaurant brands do well at retail. The consumer has an association in their minds that this is going to be as close as a retail product can get to what they're used to getting in the restaurant. And believe me, consumers are very sophisticated about this. They understand the difference between a product that's packed frozen and sold frozen and heated up versus something that's made to order in a restaurant. Um, The other thing that they have to keep in mind is that uh, to make this work, uh, it has to be Uh, a brand that people are going to be excited about. And we're finding a lot of interest overseas with American brands. Uh, America, um, for all of its vicissitudes and ups and downs and Twitter storms, is still seen as the place where a lot of innovative, exciting things are happening. So that in the case of our European um, um, rib products, they actually put the American flag right on the box. Because they want consumers to know this is American-style barbecuing for t- with the Tony Romans brand. It's not some you know made for made-up brand um, sold in Europe, which you see a lot of things that are what I would call uh, faux American. They're 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 made to look like something American, but they're not necessarily really an American product. So that's one of the big reasons, right there, that consumers overseas like uh, American branded products, is it says to them. This is something that I identify with, that I like, that I'm going to be more inclined to buy. And retailers respond to that.
0: So, Bill, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or wants to get their product in front of you or just even have a conversation with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Well, I recommend that they go to our website, which is www.bslg.com. That's an acronym for Broad Street Licensing Group. That's our company. Uh, we have some case studies on there that will show them what we've done for other brands. Um, if they want to learn more about licensing, the um, Licensing Industry Manufacturers Association, the Industry Trade Group, is also a good place to start, uh, Um And then um, really just uh, do some research. They can certainly call us, but like I say, you have to be – what I would call retail ready. Um, don't come to us with an idea that has never been at, um, in in the marketplace. Um, you know, try and ask yourself: as much as you love your your brand, is it one that's likely to generate interest at retail? Not, we hope so. I like it. That kind of thing. Be kind of rigorous and brutal on yourselves because we'll have to be if you come to us. And then the third thing is just, are you ready to go? A lot of companies come to us, and they're interested in licensing, but they're not really ready. They haven't set up any kind of internal structure for um, vetting of the licensing proposals. They don't have a team in place. In some cases, they don't even have their intellectual property in place. Have you got your marks registered? Are you um, ready really to go to market and and, and do licensing in a serious and impactful way?
0: Bill, my man, you are a rock star. Thank you for giving of your time. I know that you're a very busy guy. You've got a lot going on, and uh, we appreciate you kind of filling us in and and giving us some insights. And who knows, you might be hearing from a few people here or there, but uh, if the opportunity comes up, we'd love to have you on again.
1: Well, thank you, Sean. I've always enjoyed talking with you. Um, I'm always happy to talk about the food business. And um, I would uh, really be happy to come on your show as many times as you like.
0: Hey, thanks for sticking out. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone who's interested in. It. When you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make. Sure or Facebook, or email us, info at businesschef.org.